The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Some have suggested, though, that this shift might actually anger Putin and escalate the crisis further. Are you concerned about that? Well, if we learned anything since 2014, is that uh, it's a flawed logic to handle President Putin from the perspective that let's do nothing in order not to make him angry. No, this is not how it works. Strength, resolve, deterrence. These these are the three elements that work with Putin. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, well, it's great to be with you today. We need to continue to pray, don't we? No question about that, uh, especially for the situation in the Ukraine. And Maggie, who was that? Can you open your mic? Who was that that just uh, made that statement? Uh, that was Dmitry Kubel. He was a foreign minister for the uh, for for Ukraine. Interesting. Hey, what did he say? I maybe play that again. The last three things were. Yeah, did you catch what he said there in the in that soundbite there? Uh, that would deter Vladimir Putin. Uh, Fortitude and, and perseverance and strength. Um, they, they're not going to back down is basically what he's saying. Yeah, I know. It's a unbelievable development. In fact, we'll talk much more about that today. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, George Weigel will be stopping by in a few moments. We'll also take a look at the moral consideration of defending the Ukraine. Should we? Is that what we are called to do? Is that the right thing? Or should we stay out of that situation? There are some very bright thinkers very good moral thinkers on both sides who have very different positions on this. And I thought, look, it's it's worth, you know, it's worth looking at. I always look at things first and, of course, uh, in light of our national interest. But uh, I think it might be important also just take a look at uh, you know, the other side as well uh, and, and take a different look. You know, President Biden today, did you hear what happened yesterday? Uh, a lot went on in Yesterday and today, uh, the president is actually visiting the city of Pittsburgh. And, uh, of course, something that gets bipartisan support is uh, infrastructure, right? And he's going to tout his plan on infrastructure. And almost as if, though, it was on cue, a bridge in the city that he's going to visit to make this this announcement collapses. You know, it just, it, it's, it's it, it, unbelievable when you see this type of thing uh, unfold. Fortunately, nobody was killed. Uh, 10 people were injured. Uh, they really they only had minor, minor injuries. But according to the Pittsburgh Gazette, the last inspection listed the bridge as being in poor condition. Uh, the, the collapse did cause a gas leak. Uh, there was a line that broke, but local gas companies were able to shut it off. They were able to ultimately divert you know, a more serious problem and, and get customers the... Uh, I'll get them the, the, the heat that they need in these very cold temperatures. Uh, listen to this. Here's a, an interesting perspective on this. It comes from CBS uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, taking a look at the bridge collapse near Frick Park in, in Pittsburgh. It's one of about 47,000 bridges in our country right now that are in poor condition. Listen. A bridge collapse in Pittsburgh. This is stunning news. This is Forbes Avenue right near South Braddock Avenue. It's the Fern Hollow Bridge that so many people use. 
What Pittsburgh Public Safety is saying is that police, firefighters, and paramedics are on the scene now and that there is a strong odor of natural gas in the area. There are no initial reports of injuries, but that is rapidly developing. You see paramedics there on the scene. Sam Hall, let's bring you in right now. You've been following. This is Frick Park. This is the bridge that carries uh, Forbes Avenue over Tranquil Trail, one of those bike trails or walking trails in Frick Park. Here is South Brannock, South Dallas is where the closure on the other end of Forbes is. And now you mix in the full closure of Braddock in both directions from Forbes all the way back toward Regent Square. So major road closures in the area. And really that's all we know at this point about the closure of uh, Forbes Avenue. This bridge has collapsed. We are, of course have a crew on the ground there right now. Yeah, well, I'll dive into this in greater detail coming up. The uh the American Society of Civil Engineers, they issued a report several months ago. It was back in 2021. And they looked at our, our nation's bridges and our dams and our roads and our infrastructure. Uh, 46,154 bridges, that's the actual number, were considered in poor condition. Right? That's a significant number. We have, I think, 600,000 plus bridges in the country. Uh, but look, how many of you travel over a bridge every day, right? How many of us go back and forth over bridges? Uh, I remember it was the uh, I-35 West or I-35W, I don't know how they say it there in Minnesota, that, that collapsed. Uh, coming up next week, I'll speak to an expert who wrote a, a book and evaluated, well, they give our, our nation a report card. Uh, our dams, our bridges, our roads, our infrastructure is uh, well, something to I think, give you some pause. So. All right, uh, I'll tell you what, when we come back, uh, when we come back, when we come back next week, I'll, I'll dive into that. I don't have time to, to dive into it today. I really want to go ahead and <laughs> spend a little time. I really want to talk about it. I really do. It's a, it's a, it's really a troubling, troubling um, situation. But uh, let me, I'll share one other story with you here. And as I said, we have George Weigel coming up. Uh, you know, the, uh, I don't know if you've been following this story to our neighbors to the north. Um, if you thought, COVID restrictions here in the U.S. were bad. Um, you may not have been to Canada. Uh, in Ontario, if you're unvaccinated, you can't enter a big box store. Like You couldn't go to Walmart or to Costco or to someplace like that unless you were you know, escorted by a, uh, by a health warden. And that person will make sure that you, know, you only buy food or medicine. On top of that, the federal government issued a vaccine mandate on all truckers. And guess what they're doing? They're rebelling. There is a massive convoy numbering in the tens of thousands, tens of thousands right now. I mean, it's huge. They're, they're bringing their rigs uh, to the, national, the nation's capital there in Ottawa, and apparently they're going to go sit there until the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who, uh, get this, he called them a fringe minority <laughs> until he resigns or changes his mind on on the mandate uh unbelievable so that's a big and developing story right now here's just a little bit more to about what's now taking place this comes from global news uh, on they'll take a look at the canadian freedom convoy that's now rolling through their country making a bold statement in their nation's capital the federal government's handling of rules around truckers and vaccination status is now causing some to blow the horn Organizers and participants coming from across the West with a strong message. Drop the mandates across the board for every single man, woman, and child across Canada. 
We've dealt with this for two years. You said two weeks to flatten the curve. We're two years later. Earlier this month, Ottawa made vaccination mandatory for truck drivers crossing the border. The U.S. followed suit, which has launched the convoy. Despite the Canadian Trucking Alliance disapproving the demonstration, supporters have chipped in more than $3.4 million for a GoFundMe campaign to help pay for the journey. It's divisive. We're really, really alienating big pockets of our population with some of these mandates. And whether it's justified or not, it's hard to say. This bioethicist says he's unsure whether the science justifies vaccine mandates, but that government communication has ultimately put Canadians at odds. Ipsos polling done for Global News found two-thirds of people believe stricter measures should be put on unvaccinated people. It also found that half think government should put a health tax on people who are unvaccinated. The Conservative Party leader was asked whether he would meet with truckers when they arrived on Parliament Hill, but didn't answer the question. The new measures ultimately mean up to 26,000 fewer truck drivers are able to cross the border. Aaron O'Toole says that could lead to fewer items on shelves and higher prices. So we can't have policies that make that even worse, and we can't raise taxes. So the government there is so scared that they shut off the traffic cameras in the entire province so the people can't see what's going on online. But again, hundreds of thousands of people are showing up on the sides of the road to cheer on these truckers. And uh, we'll see what happens. That's our neighbors to the north. A lot going on around the world. And uh, speaking of uh, around the world, I thought maybe we could uh, talk just a little bit about the Ukraine uh, and, and what's happening right now in Ukraine. Uh, again, I call you to prayer. The Holy Father had invited all of us to pray earlier uh, this week, and I'm still continuing to do it. I would invite you to pray your rosary, to pray your chaplet, to spend time with the Lord in adoration, to offer small acts of, of, of penance or reparation or fasting, whatever you can do, because those acts move the heart of God, and I believe that prayer does bring peace. You heard earlier that Russia seems to be backpedaling from the presence of 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border, but the troops are still there. They're not moving. Russian President Vladimir Putin seems to be speaking some conciliatory words like, ah, oh, you know, we don't want war. We don't want wars. We don't want wars. And who does, right? The U.S. and NATO have not made any changes to their stances of having troops and weapons in countries that border Russia. But there are a lot of commentators right now, like Russ uh, D uh, Duff out of the New York Times. Uh, you heard Jeffrey Shaw uh, here on this show saying that for now we need to be conciliatory towards Russia. Ukraine, they argue, you know, it's not a hill that we want to die on, right, or that we should die on. I mean, we have no formal alliance with them, and it's it's hardly, uh, you know, a state worth defending. So why are we why are we so heavily invested? On the other hand, um, the Ukrainian Catholic Archbishop in Philadelphia recently said that Russia hates Ukraine, hates it because it's a fledgling democracy and that it threatens Putin's autocratic ways. So uh, there's no love lost between uh, Ukraine and Russia or vice versa. You know, the writer and former special assistant to Archbishop Charles Chaput, uh, Fran Mayer, uh, he recently argued that there is actually a moral obligation to defend Ukraine. Uh, and George Weigel, the papal biographer, uh, he, he's made the same argument recently in First Things and in the Wall Street Journal. You should read uh, the, the piece that he wrote. Well, well done. George is, of course, a distinguished senior fellow uh, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where 
He holds the William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies, and he joins us today to give us some perspective on what's now unfolding. Mr. Weigel, it's always a delight and an honor to have you here. Good afternoon. Thanks, Drew, for having me. Good to talk to you. Happy Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. And to you. That's right. Today is his great feast. Hey, um, I read your piece right before coming on the air here. Uh, Putin is an autocrat uh, with a KGB background, and it seems he... He just wanted to rebuild his old Soviet empire. Uh, give us a, a big view, if you could. Tell us what he is up to. I know he said that the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century, but give me your big-picture view of what you see happening right now as he's amassing these troops on the border. He's certainly going to come away with something more than he started with. I hope he doesn't, Drew, because if he comes away with anything, then the process of unraveling the victory of imperfect democracies over pluperfect tyrannies in the Cold War is going to accelerate. I I find it absolutely incomprehensible that uh, putatively intelligent people cannot see that when a kleptocratic autocracy like Russia invades another country, steals its territory, as it did with Crimea several years ago, conducts a low-grade war in the east of the neighboring country, Ukraine, that has taken tens of thousands of lives, displaced two million people, made uh, huge troubles for a country trying to become a prosperous democracy. Uh, for anyone to say that this is not something we should care about is is, is both strategically incomprehensible and frankly morally appalling. Vladimir Putin is a murderer. He uh, came to power uh, through uh, what now appears to have been the deliberate killing of 300 Russian citizens in a fake uh, faked attack by so-called Chechnyan separatists. He's maintained himself in power through murder. He murders people in other countries. Uh, And as I pointed out in the Wall Street Journal today, this is all being underwritten by a false picture of the Christian history of that part of the world, in which Russia claims to be the sole legitimate heir of the baptism of the Eastern Slavic peoples in, in 988. And that is simply false. But that false story is part of what is underwriting Putin's aggression, and it is terribly sad that the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church today is participating in that farcical reading of history and underwriting aggression. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Um, Let's talk about the patriarch. Where is he on on this particular situation. Uh, He's a fulsome supporter of Putin. (laughs) I said in the journal today, he announced that Putin's, I don't know whether it was his second or third inauguration in uh, 2012, that Putin's presidency was divine providence. Um, uh, Patriarch Kirill began his uh, clerical career as a 25-year-old newly ordained priest assigned by the Russian Orthodox Church to the World Council of Churches in Geneva. In those days, the Russian Orthodox Church, was a, uh, its leadership, 
was a wholly owned subsidiary of the Soviet secret police. You do not go to Geneva as a 25-year-old newly ordained priest unless you are working for the Soviet security services. So that's the background. Now, what he has disentangled in his own soul from that period of his life, I don't pretend to know. But his public actions have been wholly supportive of Putin's attempt to, as you say, reconstitute the old Soviet Union, although, as I pointed out in the journal today, they're now using different language for this. They're talking about the Russian world, the the Ruski Mir in in Russian, and underwriting that uh, notion of a Russian world with this false history of the baptism of the Eastern Slavic peoples and who are who are the inheritors uh, of that. Yeah. So this is really bad news politically, strategically, and it's very bad news ecumenically. This is a huge impediment to um, any serious ecumenical dialogue between the Catholic Church and uh Russian Orthodoxy. It's a huge impediment to ecumenical dialogue within the Orthodox world. Um, the Orthodox Patriarchate in Moscow and the Ecumenical Patriarch in Constantinople, Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew, are not in communion with each other yeah. right now, yeah. in part because of the Ukraine situation. So it's a huge, big mess. But I wanted to identify, particularly for policy people here in Washington, mm-hmm. who, who seem to think that you know religion ceased to be a factor in world affairs sometime in the 18th century or 17th century. Yeah. That you know, if you don't understand these cultural roots of these conflicts, you're just not going to get them right. Yeah. So let's talk about Vladimir Putin too. I mean, he had these words, uh, you know, of conciliation, if you will. I don't know whether you trust them or, or not. And going to war, uh, it would be helping a country that's almost defenseless against such an adversary if we go to support Ukraine. However, there are a couple of other, you know, just war considerations to make, including the, you know, the likelihood of success and not making things worse. How do you view this situation right now? How do you factor those into the equation? Well, first of all, uh, Putin is playing a very clever game here. good cop, bad cop, whatever, Uh, I will take nothing seriously from him until he withdraws those 120,000 troops from the borders of Ukraine, until he ceases the aggression in eastern Ukraine, this low-grade war that's been going on for five years that I've uh, spoke about a moment ago, Mm. and until he stops making the absurd claim that NATO is a threat to Russia. NATO is no more a threat to Russia than it is to Botswana or the Solomon <laughs> Islands. Right. I mean, that is simply absurd. That is a huge lie. And Mr. Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, yeah. has seemed to me for years now to be a kind of upmarket ribbon drop. I mean, he's, just, <laughs> he's a little more impressive personally than yeah. Joachim von Ribbentrop, Hitler's guy. But it's the same big lie tactic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose uh, what I want to underscore here, for particularly your audience, is that the the Catholic Church in Ukraine, particularly the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, you mentioned 
my good friend Archbishop Gudziak, has been a leading figure in the transformation of Ukraine from a a country really culturally and morally wrecked by 70 years of totalitarianism and by enormous suffering. More people have died, more people died on the territory of Ukraine in the 20th century than in any other parallel territory in the world. Uh, It was a real killing ground uh, between Soviet depredations, the Second World War, post-war assaults on the church. In, In the midst of all that, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church has been a healer. It's been a builder of genuine tolerance and civic unity. Um, it has created a wonderful university, the Ukrainian Catholic University in the city of Lviv in western Ukraine, which is the only Catholic university in the entire former Soviet space, uh, and now the leading university in the country, built from nothing in 25 years. So these are people very much worth supporting, being in solidarity with in prayer, uh, providing humanitarian assistance to, and and urging our government not to play Neville Chamberlain 2.0 here. That never works. Well said. Hey, just can I ask you one other thing? We have a couple moments here, and I'm, I'm curious about Vladimir Putin and his faith. I mean, there are some who there are some writers who actually look at his alliance with the Orthodox Church and how he stands up against the gay lobby, standing up for family values. He's once again trying to get his population up, incentivizing people to have kids. And they're, they're saying, hey, look at what Putin's doing. He's actually defending Christian moral values. He's uh, talking about that. Yeah, but so is you're, he doing you don't, it? Yeah, you, you don't buy that argument at all, right? You no, no. He's, this, is all, this is all part of the disinformation and propaganda campaign. Uh, Russia spends tens of billions of dollars every year flooding the Internet and social media with disinformation. And if you buy that, I'm sorry, you're just being, I'm not going to make you personally, but anyone who buys that is simply being foolish. Look at what is being done. Look at what is being done. In 2012... A 15-year-old boy, no, sorry, 2015, I think this was, 2012 or 2015, a 15-year-old boy in Haiti had a longer life expectancy than a 15-year-old boy in Russia. That's amazing. Actually, now, that, that's amazing. how is that rebuilding Christian culture? Yeah, that's so true. Well, I have less than a minute and a half. Let me give you final thoughts. What do you see playing out? What advice would you give to those listening? Well, I, I think Archbishop Gudziak summed it up very well in his uh, interview in Pillar Catholic recently, and yeah. then in the letter that he and the other Greek, Ukrainian Greek Catholic bishops in the U.S. issued last week, and that my colleague and uh, friend Fran Mayer quoted. First, pray. Yeah. Uh, pray the channels of grace are opened here. Uh, secondly, uh, find ways to provide humanitarian assistance, to support humanitarian assistance uh, going to Ukraine. And third, tell your representatives in Congress uh, that you want the United States to defend uh, an imperfect democracy, uh, trying to be a better democracy against a pluperfect tyranny uh, that has invaded it. 
Well, I am grateful for your time, of course, your eloquence, and uh, keep writing and, and keep leading. Look forward to the next time you're here with me. Thank you for your time, Mr. Weigel. Thanks, Drew. Good to be with you. Good bye to bye. be with you. That's George Weigel. He's a distinguished senior fellow at the Ethics of Public Policy Center, where he holds the William E. Simon Chair of Catholic Studies. As you know, you've seen him, of course, an expert on John Paul II and just a just a paragon when it comes to uh, to the faith. It's always a delight to talk and uh, and listen to him. I've been listening to him for a long time. Stay with me. I'll be right back. We got more to get into. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Satan, we're gonna tear your kingdom down. Lord Jesus, oh, Satan, we're gonna tear your kingdom down against building, building your kingdom, yeah, all over the land. You know what, Satan? Satan, we're gonna tear your kingdom down. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. I'm gonna preach your kingdom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that, Maggie. I'm like, let it play. Amen. Preach it. Yes. That's my uh, wedding song, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hopefully, my wife's not listening. <laughs> you know, what a great, what a great beat. You know, what what a what an appropriate rejoin for us here today because. You know, we live in a time where I think Satan, and I've said this yesterday, I've said it in the past, I'm sure I'll say it again, I, I personally believe that he's becoming more aggressive than ever. And, and you see it in society, you see it in the division in families, you see it within the division between nations, right? We see it with the outright rejection of God. You know, I saw a story, uh, I think it was NBC News where this was, and I share a quick quote with you. It talks about where Americans are, and I'd love to know where you are today. I mean, are you hopeful for the future? Are you disenchanted with the current, uh, you know, political scene right now? I have families have been divided over COVID. I mean, take a look at the spirit of division that's running through the country. NBC did this poll. I believe it was NBC did a poll, and I just, I'll quick quote here because I've got a line in front of me. It says. Quote, overwhelming majorities of Americans believe the country's headed in the wrong direction, that their household income is falling behind the cost of living, that political polarization will only continue, and that there is a real threat to democracy and majority rule. And boy, I could break down each one of those things. I think there's a lot of truth in all that. So this, this article, this, this poll, the story goes on. It says, uh, what's more, the nation's top politicians and political parties well, they're more unpopular than they are popular. And even interest in the upcoming November midterms is down. It is not up. I was looking at numbers. I'm surprised. I mean, they are way, way down. People are disenchanted with where the country is going right now. And when Americans were asked to describe where they believe America is today, you know what the top answers were? And I don't know where you are on this. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you don't. The, the, the top answers were downhill, divisive, 
negative. Here are some of the other words that they use. Struggling, lost, and bad. I don't see anything positive in any of those those descriptors there, do you? I mean, it's kind of depressing. I hate to do that to you. Uh, I have hope for the future personally. I really do. I think Relevant Radio is a real light. Uh, I, I know good always conquers evil. And I think this is part of Satan's tactics to depress, deceive, and make you think there is no hope. Uh, you could, you know, we just got done talking to, to George Weigel, right? Um, you, you could add the prospect of war. I mean, a lot of people are very nervous about what the future holds, not just with the economy, but with Russia or China. And it's making a lot of Americans uh, uneasy. Uh, and I know it's a pretty bleak picture of, of an America uh, that's not happy. I think we're still the greatest nation on the planet. I really do. I'm proud to be an American, and that's why people want to come here. That's why they aspire for what we have. But we have to lead morally, and I think that's where we're failing a little bit. More than that, um, you know, I, I take a look at the country, and it gives me pause when I see America losing hope. I mean, this country, if you think about our history, it was founded on hope, right? It, it, it was the hope of being out from under the suffocating thumb of King George III's you know, tyrannical rule, right? It, and it's continued on hope since then, the hope we'd win the Revolutionary War. You go through the centuries here. You take a look at the decades. You take a look at what America has done for the world. You take a look at the hope that immigrants and pilgrims have for what the future holds for them when they come to this great land. I really believe that's why tens, if not millions, if not hundreds of millions of people have emigrated to our shores over the last 245 years. I mean, they're looking for something they could not find in their own homeland. The hope of freedom and the opportunity to make something for themselves. This is the land of opportunity. But apparently, and I'm hoping this is just a, a downward anomaly. If you look at this poll, if you accept these numbers, it seems people are losing that. We're appearing to be losing an interior driving force in our citizens. You can hear in those responses, those words, right? And my producer, Maggie, was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. Downhill, divisive, negative, struggling, lost, bad. There is a pessimism that is not typical of our country. So how do we get that hope back? How do we get back to that spirit of rising above any challenge that comes to us, for overcoming any of these problems? You know, if we put our American ingenuity, we put our heart, our drive, we could do anything. We put a man on the moon, right? With, with technology less than that's in your iPhone today, right? It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, where are we? You know, where do we go from here? I've invited Monsignor Charles Pope, the pastor of Holy Comforter St. Cyprian, a very vibrant parish community in Washington, D.C., to join us. And, and, and check him out. He is, he is one, of the, uh, one of the people I really enjoy reading. He writes brilliantly. And uh, get plugged into him at msgrpope.org, monsignorpope, uh, I'm sorry, .com. Monsignorpope.com is the, uh, the web link or the URL to check out. And uh, I think you'll really appreciate his his worldview and his, his, his heavenly view, if you will, spiritual view. Hey, Monsignor, always good to talk with you. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good to be oh, here. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. A little typical so, topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, taking a look at where we are in the culture today, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was uh, a little dis disheartened, if you will, by some of those, yeah. the way Americans are looking. And I understand it. The economy's tough. The international scene is tough we've got covid we've got uh, you know a divided country we've been more partisan than ever um 
what what are you seeing? I can't imagine you you're in the D.C. area. Um, what, what are you seeing, and how are you reading? You know these these results, if you will. Well, I, I'm not surprised by them. I think we've all experienced, you know, the rioting, the looting. You know, a couple a couple summers ago, and you know, under you know, just awful awful things um, the, the, at, at the Capitol. You know, that, that took place. All these things bubbles up a great deal of anger. But, you know, I think there's some basic roots uh, that I would highlight. Uh, some of them, you know, just sociological and some of them philosophical. But, for example, I, I do think that, you know, we're living in a time, I, I, I forget your age, Drew, but I'm 60. But I, I can say that um, I do remember a time when we were told kind of to trust the government and the media. They were on our side. They were you know, uh, working for us, not against us. But I have to say that most people I know would say that their trust in any large organization has almost completely been destroyed. Uh, the media is now, you know, they, people figure, well, they're just taking sides. They're not really doing their job of reporting uh, what's actually going on. Likewise, um, you know, the government, uh, certainly science and the medical community, Almost everything they've said about COVID has been wrong and tied up in political things. And um, and then even the church. I mean, we have been, we have sorely tested God's people. Uh, we don't appear to them to be trustworthy. And the general, I think, attitude sociologically is that people who believe, you know, just don't, don't believe what they just assume you're being lied to. And so our trust has been deeply wounded uh, in times like these. And... Um, Everything has become highly politicized. Now, on the philosophical side, this is something that really goes all the way back to the you know, rise of nominalism and the breakdown of the scholastic you know, synthesis. But I, let's bring it right into the present. I, I think what we're living right now is unfortunately a Nietzschean uh, approach to, to, to life, wherein we now have we said nothing has meaning right. except what I put there. Even even being male or female, something that basic, doesn't have any meaning except what I decided it has. And then, you know, so what what, what Nietzsche saw and and uh, helped to usher in was that we're no longer living in a time where there's any reason, uh, but rather just the will. Things so that truth, the locus of truth, has shifted from uh, from the reality to to the to the subject. Or, for, if you will, for, from reason to the will. Something's true because I say it. And in a, in, a, in a culture like ours that has denied any basis, physical or you know, real basis for truth, um, the one who wins is the one who yells the loudest or who's the strangest or who's got the most political connections or is the wealthiest. And uh, reason be damned, you know, pardon the expression. But no, I, anyway, I totally those are just a couple of insights. Yeah, but no, this I, is where we know, are, and we're we're inheriting this. Yeah, as you said, I mean Benedict the Sixteenth, when he was you know a pope at the time, he coined that very famous say uh, phrase, the dictatorship of relativism. I mean, I really think that's mm -hmm. where we are. As you point out, everything is relative. I mean, how do you get to the point where you know you can think that you are a woman or or a man, even though you're chromosomal you know composition your your genetics say something yeah. completely different and society at large says okay that's fine i mean we have lost mm -hmm. reason and rationality in our culture today and i sit back and it's it's it's, it's yeah, yeah definitely the 
I sit back there and I look, my senior, I'm thinking, how do we get here this fast? I mean, go back 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I mean, it seems like things are accelerating. What's the accelerant that is driving us in such a disoriented direction? Well, I think the internet, uh, almost instant communication worldwide, and um, we're mesmerized by you, you know, the YouTube or the Twitter, or, you know, these things just rush through. Um, there's not a lot of time to process or think, you just react. And um, I, so I think that's a big piece of it. But that said, I mean, it, it is going rapidly right now. On the mm-hmm. other hand, the roots of this go way, way back into, uh, you know, all the way back to the Middle Ages, which was kind of the pinnacle of Western culture, and it's just been downhill. But it's picked up speed. And I think the internet and instant, rather instant worldwide communication has a lot to do with that. Um, I would say to everybody who's listening, if I could, watch a lot less cable news. Um, really be careful when you scan through Twitter and Facebook and be careful that you're being played. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, let's stir it up, man. Is this a self news? This, this, uh, you know, so in other words, we're, we're often whipped up into these frenzies about things that, frankly, we can't do a lot about. And we're not doing the yep. things that we should be doing that, are, that we can do, like raising our families. We're all worked up about who's president, who's in charge. But there's not a lot we can do except when we go to vote. But beyond that, you know, stay in your lane, work through your issues, raise your kids, answer their questions, yep. uh, be a firm, you know, a firm thing in this culture. I think it's great advice. I have a very liberal brother-in-law who was with me recently. He says, I just can't even watch news anymore. He's really unplugging from it, and he Mm -hmm. feels better as a result Mm -hmm. of it. And and I think you're right. I think we live in a time that the human race has never experienced, where there is this instant communication, where we have this unlimited uh, access to the Internet and to media and it's not always fair uh it, quite often there's a lot of propaganda people being indoctrinated with and they don't even realize it so i mean there's a lot of challenges so i only have a moment or two monsignor for you i'm curious about the antidote i mean how vital yeah. is okay. evangelization uh, how, how do we how do we get back i mean it's a slippery slope it's kind of hard to get back mm-hmm. up you know did you let the toothpaste out of the tube can you get it back in i mean how do we how do we, once again, I, I don't get reoriented, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, to be reoriented means to be turned to God. And here's the truth. Nations come and go. Empires rise and fall. Uh-huh. Uh, heresies, it, it, movements all rise and do their thing. But God alone remains. And here we are 2,000 years in that period where we, the Roman Empire is gone. USSR is gone. You know, uh-huh. all, Napoleon, all these people. But the church remains, and the word of God remains forever. Amen. Go, set your sight on God, who is stable. Learn from him. His truths do not change. And if the more of us can have that similar outlook, that's where you build culture. When we have a shared cultus, that is to say, a worship of the same God, we're studying his word, and we now have things that uh, kind of give us moorings and and uh, touchstones of the truth. So I think, again, uh, at, at least this much, realize these things come and go. I, I hate to think that we're at the end of an era. I love my country, too, just Me like too. you do, Drew, and people. But uh, it, could, it could be that Western culture, as we know it, is collapsing. Wow. And, but the church will remain. Stay firm on the teachings of Christ, which do not change.
I just love that message. And that's so true. Empires rise and fall, but the gates of hell will never prevail against the Catholic Church. Stay with the church. Monsignor, thank you for making time for us today. I always enjoy our exchanges. As I said, I always enjoy your writing. If people want to get plugged into what you do, what's the best way to do that? You go to MSGRPOPE, MonsignorPope.com. All right, and we'll do that. We'll link over to it on our, on our uh, Twitter account, too. Monsignor, thanks. I have to take a very short pause. Uh, I'll be back on the other side. I want to share with you the power of God's grace to bring about what is perhaps one of the ama most amazing conversions I've heard. It's the story of a communist abortionist turned pro-life. Amazing story. I'll be right back. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. So good to be with you. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll pray together, okay? If you have a need, need some extra prayer power, maybe you're going through a difficult time today, maybe your cross feels extra heavy, uh, feel free to dial in and we'll pray uh, the chapel with the rest of our spiritual family around the country and around the world. It's so good to be united. In prayer, and you can do that anytime. The number here is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I was so impressed by what Monsignor Pope had to say. It's so simple yet so clarion, and I could not agree more. You take a look at all the great empires that have risen and fall. You know, from ancient Babylonia right across the centuries to the Roman Empire, Attila the Han. You take a look at. You know, the USSR, I mean, you can go through it just about every century. What has stood? It's the church that has ultimately stood. And America, I, I think, will stand if it stands with God. I think if we continue to reject God, then we will be brought to our knees. We, too, will fall. I, I think Satan hates the church. And I think he's focused on its destruction. But I'm also convinced that Satan has targeted America. You know, with our great power, our resources, this country has the potential to influence the world for great good, especially in promoting human freedom and equality and advancing virtue. But we also have the potential to promote great evil. And I, I think Satan, who's a fallen angel, uh, has an angelic intellect. He understands that. And, and we see him trying not only to divide our country, but we see it in the breakdown of that domestic church. We see it in the breakdown of the family in this country and the increasing erosion of Christianity. Uh, but I do have hope. Uh, I, I believe that God gives us grace and that as evil rises, grace abounds all the more. And you know, we see that too in stories like the one I want to share with you. Every year around this time on the great feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, this brilliant theologian, this wonderful doctor of the church, 
I remember the story of a man by the name of Stoljan Adsedevich. He was a, how do I put it, a champion of abortion. He performed, now get a load of this number, 48,000 abortions. How much blood? How many tears? He would kill up to 35 children a day. Today, just to give you some perspective on how God's grace works, today he is now the most important pro-life leader in Serbia. After 26, 30 years, however long it's been since his conversion, known as a renowned abortion doctor. In the medical textbooks of the communist regime said abortion was simply the removal of a blob of tissue, right? Where have we heard that before, right? Ultrasounds allowing the fetuses to be seen, they didn't arrive until the 1980s, but it still didn't change this doctor's opinion at the time. He began, you know, having some nightmares. And when he described his conversion, his story is an amazing one. I'll give you the thumbnail today. Um, During these dreams he had at night, he dreamed one night of a beautiful field. It was a field full of children and young people. They were playing. They were laughing. They were ages 4 to 24, and they ran away from him. When they saw him, they ran out of fear. And then suddenly there, a man dressed in black and white in a habit just stared at him in silence. He'd wake up in a cold sweat. And every night, this dream would be repeated. So one night, he asked the man, in black and white. Who are you? The man responded to him. He says, my name is Thomas Aquinas. Now, Adasevedic, he basically was educated in communist schools. He never heard of a Dominican genius saint like Aquinas, right? He didn't recognize his name. So he said to uh, Aquinas, he says, um, you know, he would, Aquinas actually said to him, I believe, he, Aquinas turned to him in the dream and said to him, he says, why don't you ask me who these children are? And Thomas looked at him very directly and he says, these are the ones you killed with your abortions. Adasevich woke up from this one particular dream in absolute amazement. He decided from that moment forward, he, he felt it was more than a dream. And it's interesting how God works in dreams, right? Dreams uh, had a profound impact in the story of Jesus in his life, right? Through St. Joseph. You take a look at how dreams have worked across the Old and the New Testament. When this abortionist woke up, he said, I will not perform another abortion. So that same day, a cousin came to the hospital where he was working. He came with his four-month pregnant girlfriend. And the girl wanted to get her ninth abortion. And if you ever look at the stats from the Soviet Union and places like that, women have on average nine to 11 abortions. It was horrible, right? They killed so many. I, mean, I can't imagine the devastation, right? So he comes, she wants her ninth abortion, something that's very frequent and so in the Soviet bloc countries. And, and the doctor agreed. So instead of removing the fetus piece by piece, he decided to chop it up and remove it as a mass. And when he did this, and I hope I'm not too macabre here. Forgive me if I am. The baby's heart came out still beating. And it was at that moment he realized this was not a dream. 
He realized that, you know, sometimes you wake up in the dream, you vow you're not going to do something, and you end up doing it anyway. He realized he had just killed a human being. After that experience, he told the hospital, he went right to the authorities there and said, I will no longer perform abortions. And just to put this in perspective, never had a doctor in any communist country, in communist Yugoslavia where he was before he got broken up, they've never refused to do so. So the, the administration says, okay, we're going to cut your salary. They cut it in half. They fired his daughter from her job. They didn't allow his son to enter university. This is how this communist regime works. You won't do what we want, then your family will suffer. So after years of pressure and a verge of giving up, he went to sleep one night and had another dream. And he dreamed about St. Thomas. He says, you are my good friend. Keep going. That's what, that's what Thomas Aquinas said to him in the dream. So Ada Savechik basically became involved in the pro-life movement. And he was so instrumental that he was able to get Yugoslav television to air him. To, 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 to air the film. I don't know if you've ever seen this very famous um, uh, film here in, in the U.S., really around the world when it comes to abortion. It's called The Silent Scream. It was done by Dr. Bernard Nathanson, um, and, and he was a prolific uh, abortionist as well. But God's grace prevails, right? Uh, Nathanson came about. This man, through God's grace in a communist country, was able to see the errors of his ways. So, Adasevich, he basically told his story in magazines and newspapers. He went all throughout Eastern Europe. He had returned to the Orthodox faith of his childhood. He studied the writings of Thomas Aquinas, right? And influenced, you know, Aquinas, as you know, was influenced by, by Aristotle. Um, and there's one part of Aquinas who's absolutely brilliant. Um, Thomas Aquinas once wrote, and I think, again, the science was not there at the time, and, and in being influenced by Aristotle, Aquinas once wrote that human life begins 40 days after fertilization. Um, and, of course, today we know that's not right. So what Adasevich thinks is that perhaps St. Thomas Aquinas, the great saint, he wanted to make amends for that error. And maybe, maybe just maybe, that's why he came night after night to the Serbian doctor who killed 46,000 children plus, actually more than that, 48,000, almost 50. And that man's conversion was so great that he continued to fight for the lives of unborn children. And I'll tell you what, it should give us all hope, shouldn't it? It doesn't matter how great your sin is, how many abortions you've had, what kind of sins you might have committed. The Lord told St. Faustina that the greater the sinner, the greater the right they have to my mercy. In fact, you have first right. You have it before all others. And that's the beauty of our faith. And that's the beauty of God's divine mercy. When we come back, let's pray. Let's pray for an end to the culture of death. Let's pray for world peace. Let's pray for you. Let's invite the communion of saints like St. Thomas Aquinas to join us. And let's trust in God's great mercy. I'll be right back. <laughs> 